The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman, Brett King, Cameron Colley and Alec Doughty. indeed everyone and welcome to the final episode of the boys of tech for 2011 this is episode 148 for boxing day monday the 26th of december 2011 my name is edwin herman and as almost every week recently co-hosting the show with me is alec doughty from drinkle.com welcome along al hello again it's great to have you back on the show. We've actually got a couple of new people. First of all, Simon Jones, who's uh, joining us on the panel for the first time. Welcome along, Simon. Hello, the boys of tech. How are you? We're wonderful. We're wonderful. Oh, Thank good. you. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. Excellent. Well, and also we have a guest. Uh, the guest on the show this week is Dr. Tell Deby. Welcome along, Tell. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello. Now you're coming to us live from Bristol in the UK, I believe. Is that right? Uh, well, actually, I'm traveling at the moment. I'm in Belgium now. Oh, Close you're in Belgium Brussels. now. Okay. Yeah. Right. Whereabouts yeah. in Belgium? Anywhere, anywhere we know? Uh, not far from Brussels in a tiny village. Not, not far. You know, I actually applied for a, a job in, in, uh, in, in Brussels and I had an interview over the, uh, over the phone. I think they had 20 applicants. I made it to the final six. Unfortunately, I didn't get the job. So I'm, I'm still here in New Zealand. Okay. Hooray! <laughs> which, I'm is glad okay. Still <laughs> which is still okay. <laughs> but yeah, I was looking forward to doing the European thing for a little bit. Uh, so anyway, the reason we got you on the show this week is because uh, you've been leading some research for the past while looking at the success of pop songs or what makes a song successful and uh, what are the factors that perhaps don't make it so successful. And as a result of that, I understand you've uh, created some software that uh, you can feed in a song and it will come back with a result as to whether it thinks it's going to be a successful song in terms of the uh, the pop charts or whether it won't be so successful. Is that pretty much a good summary of, of, uh, of, of your research and, and what you've produced? Um, yeah, that's quite a good summary. So, um, so, so what we were interested in was um, uh, finding out if we can distinguish between uh, songs that make it to the top of the top 40 charts in the UK and songs that um, stay at the bottom of the top 40 chart below position 30. And uh, of course, we never expected we could do this um, perfectly, but we wanted to know if it's better to do this better than random. And it turns out that it can be done better than random, yes. So accuracy at the moment is, is sitting at about 60%, right? Yes, that's right. So if you take the top five of the top 40 chart in the UK and you call these uh, songs, the songs that reach the top five, you call these hits. And the songs that stay below position 30, you call these non-hits. Then we can distinguish the two categories within accuracy of 60%. And if you would randomly guess, you would get about 50% right. Right. Okay. So, so do you put, sorry, do you play the song, you, you just play the song to it or, do, or does it... Uh, does the program ask, ask for some variables, what year it was, those sort of things? 
Uh, well, we do need to know the year. That that's that's one um, mm. the only type of metadata, if you like, that we need to have for it, because we um, the equation uh, that we came up with is is, uh, it, is uh, well, dependent on uh, the time when it was released, um, or on because a song can be popular in the '60s, but not at all have no chance at all, say in in the '80s or the '90s. But apart from that, um, the system makes use of the audio only and not of any other metadata. It creates its own metadata, so to say. How about metadata for whether Simon Cowell discovered the band or the the singer? Sorry, I didn't catch that. Metadata that Simon Cowell uh, discovered the musician, as in uh, the X Factor. Uh, So what kind of metadata would that be then? That that he was the the person who discovered them? Oh, I see. (laughs) Because every single hit in the UK now seems to come from the X Factor. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing that's not one of the variables in the uh, in the software, right, Dale? Yeah, so so that could be interesting additional metadata, but we are obviously not using that at the moment. So the kind of uh, data that we um, generate for uh, audio, in fact, we, we use an, another service to help us with that as well, which is called the Econest. It's, it's, it's a commercial company. And the reason we use their service is because they have the funds to buy all the songs. So we use uh, their initial analysis and then we do an, ad- an additional analysis based on that. And then we use machine learning, which is a type of artificial intelligence, to then come up with the equation. So uh, the type of features that we extract from the music audio uh, with the help of the Econest is uh, things like the duration of the song and uh, the beats per minute, the tempo. Um, these are very basic ones, but also more complex ones such as uh, how complex the harmony is of the song, how clean the sound is, which we call um, so so we call it harmonicity of the sounds, and um, lots of other features alike. So in total, we have twenty-three different features. So, what are the ones that you're analyzing yourselves? The ones we are analyzing are we we are constructing ourselves, or the harmonic simplicity, and uh, the non-harmonicity, and then um, the variation of the loudness throughout the song, and then the variation of the beat throughout the song. Um, so these, in a sense, fairly sophisticated features that are constructed based on uh, other features that are generated by the Econists. Who actually created the software? Was that uh, for the analysis that you're doing? Was that your you and your research team? Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's that's me and uh, three other people in my research team. Right. So how did you? What what did you use to create the software itself? Very basic, uh, rapid prototyping software, actually mathematical uh, programming software, which is called MATLAB. Oh, I know MATLAB. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. MATLAB is, is so good. It's so powerful. It, it is very powerful, yes. Especially because uh, so the, the, the total amount of code for this is quite, quite limited, in fact, even though um, the, the artificial intelligence method is, is a reasonably sophisticated one. It only takes a few hundreds of lines in total. Now, I must admit, it has been uh, probably a good 15 years <laughs> since I used MATLAB. It was when I was uh, studying at the university. But it was, okay. uh, it was when I was first introduced to it, I thought, wow, this is a great piece of software. And it's very expensive as well. It is expensive, but in uh, an, an academic license, is more uh, affordable. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Now, I understand that you're at uh, the Intelligent Systems Laboratory in the Faculty of Engineering at University of Bristol, correct? That's correct, yes. So what are the plans uh, in terms of the next steps for this? Is this something, can you sort of commercialize this or commercialize the results that you've obtained? What's next? Yeah, so that's a very good question. In fact, it's a question we never asked ourselves before uh, going public with this. 
so for us, this was really a curiosity project. We wanted to know if, if there is anything in the audio that makes a song more likely to become a hit. And there was really an academic question we had in mind. And, and the reason we wanted to, or we, we came up with this question is also because it was something that other researchers have been working on and found that they... Um, they thought it couldn't be done. Uh, so that was a challenge for us then. Uh, now, given the success in the media of this story, we, we think we probably have to do something with it. And, and the first thing we plan to do with it is to uh, make a web application available where people can upload their own songs. So we are looking into that at the very moment. We can't guarantee it yet because we have to, um, we have to see how feasible it is technically. But we, we have it in mind at the moment. But commercially, we don't have any, any, any plans at the moment. I wonder uh, if the recording industry might be interested in. in well, some that of this. was going to be my comment as well. I, 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 w- I would think the recording industry would be interested in this in actually vetting new sign-ons for, yeah, for, th- for new people sign, signing onto a record label. Part of their vetting process is you get a score of X in this software analysis of, of, of one of their songs. Yeah, I think it is a possibility, but then I don't know because I'm not an expert in in this uh, in this area. I mean, in, in the music industry, I don't know if a producer wouldn't be able to match and exceed the performance of the system. If you see what I mean, sixty percent is much is significantly better than random, uh, but we don't know how it compares to uh, uh, a producer, say, to Simon Cowell. Uh, yeah. if it All he's interested is is what they look like. So you'd have to feed in a <laughs> photograph of them. <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, that could be a whole new research as well. Does the physical appearance of artists have anything to do with the success of their music? Like yeah. that, could, that could be your next, your next project, Tal. Yeah, it could be, could be interesting. <laughs> and analysing photos in that way. Uh, have you noticed artists are getting progress? Well, back in the day, they used to be pretty ugly. You know, you've got, I don't know, uh, Roger Daltrey and different musicians. Shane, Shane McGowan? Yeah, Shane McGowan. And nowadays, they all look like... You know, Barbie dolls. Barbie dolls, exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say, one of the reasons, Simon, that we got you on the show, of course, as well, is that... It's because I'm a pretty boy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was... <laughs> I've got a face which, for radio. Which is why we're doing an audio show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys are too funny. No, it's, it's of course, as you know, because you're a musician. Now, you've produced... Uh, uh, well, in fact, you've, you've not only produced a number of songs, you've actually written them as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, you know one of the things I was hoping to have done but unfortunately tell you, you've told me that this is not possible at this stage was to run Simon's song or at least one of Simon's songs through the, the system to see if he's, if he's got a hit because I think you've got a song Simon called Can't Stand Losing and it's a song that I I can't get out of my every day. I, almost I can't get out of my head it's on my iPod it's on my on my Mac it's even at work and I play it a lot. My little daughter sings it. I sing it. And I think it would be a hit. It'd be so great in the next, I don't know, maybe months to come or something. I don't quite know how long till um, when you'll have a, the ability to upload a song uh, yeah. onto your system. But it'll be great to be able to do that on that particular song, Simon, and then see what it comes out like. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I actually think we don't necessarily need a program to tell us whether it's a good hit or not. Well, I mean, because you know, because Edwin knows. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I said so, so I it must be. Just run all hits through Edwin. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, maybe not. Um, I know a lot of people 
that I know would disagree with it. Get the whole music industry just to phone you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, we think it will take, uh, if, if it's going to work out, we think it will be uh, online on the scorehit.com website in a couple of weeks' time. When did you say? In a few weeks' time, we, we hope. If we can uh, pull it off, it will be in a few weeks' time. Well, you mean the ability to upload a, a song? Yes, yes. Oh, that wow. would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be really cool. Uh, yeah, look, but I, I, don't want to, I don't want to oversell it, though. So uh, that's one of the reasons that we didn't uh, do it in, in the beginning, because right. we don't want to make people believe that uh, a good score on our, our system will uh, guarantee them a hit, uh, which, yes, is, which is obviously yeah. not at all the case. So we, we will try to set expectations right on the website as well. It's just a fun thing to, to play with. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. I can understand that. I tell you what, you know, if you need any help with that, I mean, my background's web development. I'd love to help out if if, uh, if you need that, but it sounds like you've, you've obviously got the wheels in motion already, I'm guessing. Yeah, we have some wheels in motion now. And uh, yeah, let's see, let's see how it works out. If you need help, we'll let you know. Excellent. Thank you. I'll, uh, and I'll definitely be keeping an eye out. So that website again is scorahit.com, correct? Yes, that's right. Now, tell just a couple of things I noticed in your press release as well uh, that, that were mentioned. I just w- thought we could go through a few of those if that's okay. One of the things yeah. is you say that before the 80s, the danceability of a song was not very relevant to its hit potential. But from then on, songs that were more danceable were more likely to become a hit. Now, how do you define danceability in terms of, I mean, you and I might know what, what's danceable and what's not, but how does a computer know that? Yeah, that's actually a good question. And I, I cannot fully answer this question because this is one of the features that the Echo has constructed for us. Oh, so th- so they constructed okay. this... They construct it for a variety of, uh, of purposes. In fact, lots of people who make small apps, they make use of the Econest services. And uh, then they do lots of things with it. And uh, scoring a hit is only one of the possible applications, which is the one we developed. But uh, if you go on their website, you can see some explanations of what exactly danceability means. And you'll see that it's an integration. It's kind of one feature that integrates different aspects, such as uh, the rhythm and, and the tempo. And... Um, and a number of other things that I, I don't know right off the top of my head. So uh, does, your software, this, does your software look at um, lyrics at all? Um, no, that's a good question. At the moment, we are not looking at that. But uh, one of my um, project students in Bristol is, is looking into the question of whether lyrics could help in distinguishing uh, mm. the top of the, from the bottom in the, in the top 40 charts. We don't know it yet. So you're going to continue with some research along this line as well? Uh, yes, we, we will probably try and improve the system a bit further, for example, by constructing additional features. We hope that one day we'll be able to um, uh, acquire the fans to, to buy all songs that have been on the top 40 charts so we can actually make our own features, all of them. So we have better control and we understand better what exactly the features are because obviously this is a trade secret of the Econest, how exactly they construct, for example, danceability. So yes, we, we do have some plans to further improve this. I've noticed that you said that um, over the years you've noticed a trend that songs are getting faster and they're getting louder. Uh, are you able to extrapolate that out into the year 3000 and, and say that they'll be really, really, really fast and so loud your ears will be? <laughs> and no, no, we can't do that. And in fact, I hope it, it won't be the case and I think it won't be the case. And, uh, Just be a wall of noise. Uh, is, is it a linear increase in, in or is it an exponential increase in... Uh... <laughs> I know, it's, uh, log- it's, it's logarithmic, noise. isn't it? It's logarithmic. 
It's it's a it's a mostly linear increase, but there was kind of a step change in in '95, uh, it seems. But now, as of recently, it's it's starting to decrease a bit. But I think it's too early to draw any conclusions from that. But um, if you look at the graph, then it kind of starts dropping off a little bit the loudness there's in actually, the last few years. There's actually a lot of articles on the loudness wars, as they call them. In fact, even even the Wikipedia entry on loudness wars <laughs> is actually a, a fascinating read. And, you know, as some of you know, I'm, I'm involved in radio as well, and we do like to apply quite hard dynamic compression so that this music sounds louder. But in theory, it actually averages everything out because stuff that's already been compressed, it doesn't really get recompressed a, a, a lot more, whereas stuff that hasn't been does. Which actually also led me to wonder about this whole loudness thing. How I, I'm actually in a way surprised that it makes a difference because where do people listen to music nowadays a lot of the times? I would have assumed a lot of it is uh, is online where, where uh, you do have dynamic compression anyway, but also on the radio, you know, especially in the 90s. And of course, radio normalizes everything through its own compression. So I'm surprised that compression isn't, and you know, generating the impression that the song is louder. I'm actually surprised that the loudness has an effect on the uh, yeah. hitability. Yeah, that's actually a very interesting point. I hadn't thought about it yet in this way, but I think what you say may be the very explanation. I'm speculating now, but if a song is already is made specifically to be distributed over the more common channels these days, because it is pre-compressed, if you like, then the quality of it will not be affected by being aired on the radio or by being played over an internet channel. And the quality will stay the same and it's produced exactly for those channels. Maybe that's why people mm. like it more because it was made for those channels. Oh, yes. Is it, mm-hmm. This is very speculative, but it might be, maybe you're, you're giving the explanation of why loudness is, is becoming more important. Now, in 1993, a song called Mr. Blobby got to number one in the UK. Um, have you run th- th- that song through your software? Because um, I want to know why it got to number one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. Well, the anomaly of the ages. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mr. Blobby. Well, I don't we, think that got, got over to New Zealand. <laughs> Well, uh, we we have run every to 40 song we could ho- we could get data for through our system, but we haven't looked at all the results in detail, so uh, I, I can't tell you immediately. I would have to look it up. So how many songs in total were put through this? Uh, 14,000 and, and a bit more than that, but uh, which is not all of the top 40 songs, but, but uh, as many as we could get 14, data for. 14? As, as many 14. as you had licenses for. 14, time, one, four. Yeah. Oh, 14,000. So, uh, Al, you were saying? So you did as many analysis on songs as, as you had licenses for? Well, no, so we didn't have the licenses ourselves, but uh, we, we queried the Econest um, service. Uh, for so the, it's for the, the licenses data. that they have. Yeah, so we, didn't, we don't own the audio. We, we never used the actual audio. We just used the, the API of the Econest right. to get the basic features of the audio. So uh, because of that, we were limited to, to not all of them because we couldn't query the data sure. for all of them. But for most of them, I, I think we have the data. Well, that's a very, very big data set. 14,000 is a, is a big data set. And even if you break it into like five or six decades, that's still around about 3,000 per decade. So that's, that's a, a really decent set. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. That, that's huge. You should be yeah. getting some good results from that. Now, one of the things on your website on scorerhit.com is the unexpected hits section. And I was actually reading through that. And there you've summarized or given ex- a few examples of hits that 
were unexpected in the sense that they they didn't follow the, the usual trend of other songs that made it to hits, and often there's another explanation as to why they became a hit. Is it, that's correct, isn't it? Yes, that's correct, yes. So that actually makes some good reading for, for those of you who want to check this out on scorehit.com. Check out Unexpected Hits. And uh, also Hidden Gems is the other one as well. Yeah, no, I just went to that. That looks really interesting. I'll be uh, bookmarking that to read later. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth worth a read. Okay. Okay, so Dr. Tel Deby, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to join us on this podcast. And thank you also for doing this fantastic research that's, uh, that allows us to now peruse the results. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. And all the best. And uh, as I say, please do let me know if you need it. If you need an extra hand with this upload of song business. Some beta testers, okay. maybe. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right, thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you very day. much. Bye. All right, and I wanted to keep the theme of music for a little bit here. A story that's perhaps nowhere near as exciting but still follows the music theme is Universal Music. You may, you may recall, I think we covered this last week, that they were under fire. Being bully boys. Yes, for being bully boys. They... they took down a song from YouTube and it wasn't a song that they had rights to. And, and so, of course, people were up in arms. Now, it turns out that according to Universal, and I haven't heard YouTube's uh, side of this yet, though, but Universal claim that they have a right, they've got an agreement with YouTube that they can take down anything they like. There's an update on the Ars Technica article, which actually is is from YouTube, saying that our partners do not have the right to take down videos from YouTube unless they own the rights to them or they are live performances controlled through exclusive agreements with their artists, which is why they reinstated the clip. Now, um, this is creating a very interesting situation because we now have a debate. We now have Universal saying one thing. We've got YouTube saying another what we need to do is get the two in the room together and get them to, to sort it out. Uh, what we need is a class action lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, another one. Another one, yeah. <laughs> so, look, watch the space because the thing is, I, I'm actually surprised at the last up, the update you just provided us. I, I actually could have easily believed that YouTube would have given Universal such a Almost thing. Almost carte blanche. Yeah, pretty to, much, pretty much. Yeah, to, to guarantee that um, Universal allow their own copyright materials onto YouTube. I wouldn't be surprised if there, there was something like that. Now, you see, maybe this comes down to a technical matter. Maybe technically they can bring anything down, but, you know, they hit a button and bang, it's gone. But maybe they're not supposed to. Maybe this is what it's all about. This yeah, is where this misunderstanding yeah. is. Like, exactly. Universal will say, you know, no, they, we can do it. And YouTube will say, they have oh, no, the you can't. They ability to, they just don't have the right to. Yeah, now that's where, of course, we're speculating here. But that, that seems to kind of take both sort of sides into account. So it yeah. wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. I think what we actually need to see is the, agree- the agreement between YouTube and Universal. Yeah, but I can't see them making that public. Oh, Keep absolutely not. But yes, you're right. I mean, obviously it would be in there. Simon, but, you haven't got any of your music on YouTube, have you? Um, Has Universal a, taken down any of your music? The Universal took it <laughs> yeah. down, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They keep putting it up and they keep taking it down. <laughs> oh, you, I'm out there. But you somewhere. get up again. You're never going to keep you down. There's just a, a little live performance, but it's really bad quality. So I have to get you to record, make a music video of me, Edwin. Oh, look, I'd love to. I'd It'll love be to one do, of our next projects. It will. I'd love to do that. We'll, we'll get together and do that sometime. Do it. We'll, Let's yeah. do it. Okay, yeah. let's do it. 
All right. You've heard it here. Let's do it now. Okay, let's let's quit the show. We can leave the show. (laughs) We'll come back to it. I mean, how long does it take to do a music video? Surely it's it's, it's a four-minute song. takes four minutes to film, right? Exactly. Yeah, no problem. Oh, so not true. Another story that's somewhat related, not quite music, but media in, in, in any event, is Netflix in the UK has signed a deal with the BBC, which means that apparently they're going to be able to release uh, content. They're going to be able to offer their service to the UK early next year. What I want to know is is whether this deal with BBC is only for Netflix UK or whether it actually applies to all of Netflix's services, the US, the Australian service that's going to be starting up soon, etc. So is, is it still just a regional deal or does this give Netflix an in to all BBC content? Now that is, a, that is a very good question. And that's a question we should be putting to, to BBC or Netflix, either one. I've been watching iPlayer, BBC iPlayer for a while, so I don't know how... Uh, will, will we still be getting content on that? Or Well, actually, what was the deal with iPlayer now? Is it still only for UK residents? It's still at the moment, but I think they're making it worldwide soon, aren't they? Well, I or, thought they were going to as well. I, heard, I can't remember yeah, what happened yeah. in the end. So have you been using it? Because, Simon, we can, obviously from your accent, we can tell you're, you're, you're British. I am. Uh, so were, were you using this in, in Britain? Uh, yes, I am. I'm using it in New Zealand as well. Ah, through a proxy. Mm-hmm. Oh, very nice. UK proxy. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yes. I actually have a, work nicely. I've actually got a server in the UK. Well, it's actually not mine. I'm renting space on a server in the UK. I wonder if I can proxy through there. I'll have to look at that. Hmm. Now, how about this US drone that was apparently brought down by Iran? The US say that it, w- it went off course and uh, and sort of was abandoned and was obviously must have been found in that way. Uh, the Iranians, of course, are saying that they brought it down by hacking GPS signals and fooling it into thinking it was somewhere else. Any opinions on that? It looks like it's made out of paper mache. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't look real to me either. I'm, I'm looking at a photo online and it's like, it looks, uh, yeah, it doesn't look what's real. It? What's that thing at the front? Like a fake window. Fake, why would you need a window? Yeah, why, why do they do that? But they do, <laughs> I think they do. The thing is, the US, have you noticed, the US have never denied that what was shown was a US drone. They've never denied it. Mm. They, 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 in fact, as I said before, they, they said, oh, that's one of our drones that went off course and obviously it had to be abandoned. So it must be a real drone. Can't they hack into it and get it to take off again? The US. <laughs> oh, oh, the, oh, the US. Yeah, well, like yeah. reverse the hack or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're trying as we speak. I'm sure the Iranians are, uh, uh, you know, I mean, now that they own it now, I mean, it was, uh, if we believe, uh, you know, that it went down in, in their territory, they own it. It's theirs. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what happens. What are they going to do with it? Are they going to reverse engineer it? And that actually does, of course, bring up the whole question of, you know, uh, about drones. You know, is is that's the risk also with, with drones that, you know, it, it falls into the, it can fall. They can fall into the hands of the other side. Yeah, I, I, I think um, one of my questions is: Is this actually a drone, or is this a a, a mock up based on sort of a specs that Iran got somehow? But so if it wasn't it, a real it, drone, you would have expected the US to come out and deny and say what you're seeing, well, folks, is not a drone. Not necessarily. 
You don't think so? Misdirection, subterfuge. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, actually, that's, yeah. Who do you believe? Exactly. The other point that is raised is that it was brought down because they basically jammed the GPS and then tricked it into thinking that the base had changed and that an Iranian base was actually its home port. I'm not sure how you do that with overriding GPS signals, though. So I find it interesting that the drone was so vulnerable in this way and that it could it didn't have backup redundancy to use topography or geographic things to, to do its navigation. Well, one of the things, if I was designing one of these things, and I know this is with hindsight view now, but if I was designing one of these things, you'd want to build in a, a system to detect if your coordinates suddenly change. Like, you know, hello, I'm in Afghanistan. Oh, suddenly I'm in Sri Lanka or something. You know, if your coordinates change more than X amount in X amount of time, yeah. surely that should ring a bell. Nose dive into the ground. Yeah, I mean, yeah, bought, you know, do, do kamikaze yourself or something. Yeah. Maybe they didn't even think about it or, or, or thought it wasn't worth the risk or wasn't, you know, didn't, you know, wasn't worth the investment. Maybe they, they wanted them to capture it. Ah, oh, here we go. Here yeah. come the theories. Maybe. But, you know, going back to the technology <laughs> side of this, jamming GPS signals is, is not hard. No, not at all. And, and sending fake coordinates, I don't think is that hard either. The question is, did this happen in this case? Well, from what they said, I don't think they actually sent fake coordinates. I think they jammed it, which supposedly put it into like a reset mode. And then they were able to um, basically reprogram it so that it actually thought that an Iranian base was its home base. But the GPS coordinates themselves were the same. But that's a bit I, I can't. Yeah. How, 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 that, I can't bit, wrap uh, my head around that, that no, explanation. No. It doesn't make any sense no, to me. No, exactly. It doesn't make sense to me. How do you re... I, and I saw that as well. It, it was yeah. like that they've reprogrammed it like while it was flying from what and how. and yeah. how, It doesn't make sense. I could believe that they, you know if they'd sent rogue GPS overriding signals to make it think it was somewhere else. But I don't know. There's something so fishy about this story. There is. There is. But I think that's uh, that's fairly obvious. Now, how about Sony? Sony is being sued in the US over a <laughs> no-sue clause in the agreement for the PlayStation Network. Isn't that ironic? Beautiful irony, I would call it. Oh, it's, it is sweet <laughs> irony indeed. So the thing is, Sony have added a, a clause recently into the into the agreement that that you have to agree to to be able to use the PlayStation Network, and it says that. Any dispute resolution proceedings, whether in arbitration or court, will be conducted on an individual basis and not in a class or representative action or as a named or unnamed member in a class, consolidated, representative or private attorney general legal action, unless both you and the Sony entity with which you have a dispute specifically agree to do so in writing following initiation of the arbitration. So in other words, you can't file a class action lawsuit you have to do you know take the matter yourself you have to ask sony for permission to sue them <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> and, and you know this is the thing and, and so now they're being sued over that over the introduction of that clause so can they do that obviously sony think they they can yeah uh, and a, a number of other companies think that they can as well because yeah, a number of other companies including microsoft have added these sort of clauses into their services but I don't know that they've been legally tested yet, though, have they? No, there's there's one ruling, there's one precedent that has 
already sort of paved the way for the legality of this, but hopefully that will get challenged and overturned because I, I, I really think this is a stupid rule. Yeah. It's a get out of G- jail free card for, for any corporation. It is. I mean, the fact that you have the ability to bring a class action lawsuit to me is something that is granted to you as a right uh, under the l- jurisdiction of the country in which you live. Mm. In this case, we're talking about the US. I, you know, obviously, different countries have different different laws. But to me, it's not something that can be should be able to be contracted out of. Of course, I'm not a lawyer. I'm I'm just sort of speaking uh, from my the point of view of, of common sense. Mm. It, it seems ridiculous to to be able to. But common sense and U.S. law rarely meet. <laughs> I think common sense and law in general don't really meet very often. All right, now onto some quirky stories. What about the guy who's tattooed himself with a QR code? You should have put it on his forehead. <laughs> yes, so we can all scan it. <laughs> his name is Fred Bosch, and the QR code resolves to random content because he didn't want something static. Because he's just programmed a uh, a web page which serves up a different image every time that URL is hit. Yeah, I mean that's mm-hmm. so the tattoo is not random. The service it connects to is point of clarification, but an important one, uh, I think. Absolutely, yes. Uh, so you, you're you're totally right. The QR code itself is obviously statically tattooed. As if there's any other way of tattooing. <laughs> that's a bit of well, a, a tautology that they can use. But the what? Have you heard of the uh, the Smart Ink, which is like um, no. Tattoo Ink, which uses the same sort of properties as e-ink, which is used in uh, like the Kindle. So you can basically program your tattoo and change it. You're by joking. Running, like, can can you No, you're having me on. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm being genuine. Really? Yep. Wow. I don't know whether it's readily available, but it, it was in development. If you're going to do that, why don't you just have one of those stick-on ones like kids, you know, for kids? <laughs> or just a henna tattoo. Yeah, one that lasts for two weeks. Yeah. So, yes, you're totally right. The link to which the QR code resolves is always the same. But, yes, you're right. He's uh, That takes him to his site, and that's where he's programmed in the randomness, and, and it serves him up a random image or a random tweet uh, and stuff like that, which I think is kind of cool. I mean, it's maybe nothing more than the publicity stunt at this point, but it's, it's interesting. It's but, interesting. Yeah. It's I, I kind of like it. I don't think it's going to become a trend or a fad. No, although if it did, I, I don't think I could stop myself from scanning these people's tattoos just to see what they resolve to time and time again. Assuming I can get to the tattoo, but we're not going <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering about the longevity of these these actual QR codes. I don't Will they be around in the next 30 years? Oh, well, that's a very good question. I would say no. And and if if so, then he's going to just have this random blob on his arm. <laughs> yes, that is a very good point. I hadn't I hadn't actually thought of that. I mean, we kind of assume these things are going to stick around, but I mean, that's not to, to say that they will. So mm. you're right. In 30 years, we probably have a completely different type of uh, you know barcode. A, you can't a really 3D call them, yeah. holographic barcode. Yeah, probably. Well, just our, our radio frequency tags. Is it RFIDs? RFID, or yeah, and then they are yeah. used already, but obviously, yeah, there are limitations on that as well. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about, you know, distance and so on, and as as well as cost. But yeah, I mean, that can all change. And you're right, you know, in 30 years' time, this guy probably just has a random blob that looks like nothing. That's when he's going to have to get it lasered off, turn it into a chessboard. <laughs> yeah, a mini chessboard. Just wraps his arm. Yeah, why not? Why not? It looks like he's got a pair of eyes at the top. Could be a draw a smiley face on it. 
a really oh, bad you're, you're looking at the tattoo itself. Yes. Yeah, it's a really bad face. Speaking of quirky, have you heard about the uh, Israeli this time who's changed his name from, I believe it's pronounced Rotom Goez, to Mark Zuckerberg? And he's done this because Facebook is threatening to sue him. And I think the inference here is that by changing his name by Deadpool to Mark Zuckerberg, he's kind of hoping that the, the lawsuit won't go ahead because it will kind of sound really weird in the media. Yeah, Facebook sues Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, but it's not. That Mark yeah, Zuckerberg, not but the real Mark exactly, Zuckerberg. Exactly, but it would still, yeah. So uh, interesting, interesting uh, tactic. So would Mark Zuckerberg then actually change his name to the real Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the real Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. formerly known as Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, <laughs> not that Israeli guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in brackets afterwards. <laughs> in brackets afterwards, not that Israeli guy. <laughs> But then the Israeli guy could do the same thing. Indeed. <laughs> so it'd be a cat and mouse game. So the reason, by the way, in case you're wondering why is he being sued by Facebook, that's probably more of interest, uh, and that is because he runs a an online store called The Like Store where he offers a service to enhance companies' online reputations by offering Facebook users free content that is only accessible by clicking the Like button on the company's profiles. And according to Facebook, that is not allowed. Yeah, it's against Facebook's terms of service. Of course, the comeback from this new Mark Zuckerberg says says that other companies are doing it, and a lot of them in the US, but of course two wrongs don't make a right. So if it really is, of course, against the rules, then I don't know that it stands much chance apart from this publicity stunt. And it is a pretty good publicity stunt. Yeah, well, I, I think it is too. And to be quite honest, I think it's quite smart. It's a bit quirky, but it's smart. It, it, it got him in the news. It did. He's in the news. And I do think he has a point that when this gets reported, you know, Facebook sues Mark Zuckerberg. Surely Facebook are going to have to think twice. Do they kind of want this to happen? Yeah. Do they want the bad press that this is going to give them? That's right. Yeah. I don't think Facebook are really scared about bad press. No, no it's, like, it's not like they've had their fair share already or, or, yeah. or anything, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, They're yeah. not gun-shy about that. They changed no, their privacy settings. Yeah, that's all, exactly. <laughs> all they need to do is do another privacy setting with a, with a really bad default and they'll be in the, in the press in a bad way again. Yeah. Right, well, folks, that pretty much concludes the very last episode for this year of The Boys of Tech. Now, I thought because, of course, this is the, I guess, the Boxing Day special, you could call it, uh, it is kind of still Christmas in, in a way, and so we're a bit sort of in a festive mood. I always should be. And so, Simon, you're a musician, you're a singer-songwriter, you've written a whole bunch of songs, sung them, recorded them, and produced them. And Indeed, I thought, yeah. I thought with your permission, we, we could perhaps, uh, instead of our usual outro music, we could use one of your songs. Ooh, yeah, cool. Why not? I know you like it, so yeah, other people out there like it too. I hope so too. I'm sure they will. And in fact, in a few weeks, we'll know. Because <laughs> we're going to run it through the software, through Tell, uh, tell oh, the yeah. Software. Yeah. Oh, I thought we were going to ask our two users, our two viewers to, uh, to <laughs> respond back and give feedback. Well, we could do that as well. But <laughs> Is that your mum's? No. That's right. <laughs> And we've pre-warned them. No, uh, the, song, the, the song I had in mind, of course, was the one I mentioned earlier, Can't Stand Losing. So, look, Simon, thank you very much for agreeing to come on the panel with us. Absolutely. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh. Uh, I hope, hope to hear you again. 
Yeah, well, and I'm, uh, I'll be uh, your third listener now. Oh, very good. Oh, very good. <laughs> and Al, thank you also once again, as per usual. Uh, it's been an, another fun episode. All right, folks, that is the final one for 2011. Have yourselves a great New Year's break. Keep safe, and we'll see you all again next year. This is Can't Stand Losing by Simon. Thank you very much, everyone. Goodbye. Merry Christmas, everyone. Don't know why you never care. All these years have passed us by. Did you ever get scared? Years fly by. I'm never prepared. When the day finally comes, I hope I know what to wear. It's for me. Is true, except to be a millionaire. Times may change, and although I'm scared, I'm happy to be me and when the day comes. I think a smile is all I wear. You're too bad. Be happy.